Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Programme, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and we're here every week at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. That's education that is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's public in access, access to all children, whatever their background, whatever their preferences, whatever their parents, whatever their parents' income. And it should also be accessible for employment for any teacher or cleaner or any other person who's employed in the school. That's our public system. That's what it stands for, open access. It should be publicly owned and controlled. We know it's all, not always the case with public-private partnerships, but at least it's not completely alienated from the public estate like private schools are. It's the only one that should be publicly funded because it has proved itself to be the only one that is publicly accountable. So that's public education, that's what we're on about. Uh, but this afternoon, we're going to be talking a little bit about what actually goes on inside the classrooms because Mr Dutton and uh, the coalition and their think tank, their very popular think tank, the so-called Institute of Public Affairs, which should be called the Institute of Private Affairs, has been attacking our public system in the same way as the Republican Party has been attacking the public system in the United States. So we're going to um, see if we can draw a few parallels there. Um, but without much more ado, we'll go straight into that. And Oliver and Kim is going to read our press release 957, which you will find on our website at www.adogs.info. Over to Oliver and Kim. Thank you, Jean. Mr. Dutton has promised to make a debate over the national curriculum that he says is at risk of being hijacked by unions and activists, a key political background for the next federal election. What our children are bringing home from school, a key foundational value-based issue for the Liberal Party to fight on. And his shadow minister for education has been only too happy to denigrate public school teachers at an independent schools conference. He blamed dud public school teachers for declining results. The opposition parties are also attacking public school teachers and the curriculum in the upcoming Victorian election. It seems that as the coalition party lurches further and further to the right, they are attempting to sing from the same hymn book as the Republicans in the American midterm elections. Public school supporters will do well to note these concerted and manufactured attacks on public education. Dogs are not alone in recognizing this trend in Australian politics. The following article by Lucy Hamilton on the John Menadu website entitled Pearls and Irritations is a very interesting analysis of the influence of a think tank, the Institute of Public Affairs, so-called, on coalition policy and, in turn, the influence of American right-wing politics on their thinking. Over to you, Kimberly. Thanks, Oliver. Uh, this article is titled, The IPA Launches Campaign to Harass Teachers. Why? 
Michael Pascoe's excellent column, Savaging the Institute of Public Affairs, illustrates its commitment to greed at the expense of everything, at a moment when Australia is beginning to reckon with which low-lying and forested communities will soon become uninsurable in the face of the climate emergency, the IPA is still pushing false doubt about the science. It seems short-sighted to fight tooth and nail for one's own children to live in a world much harder and more expensive than the one the combatant was raised in. It seems confused, if not hypocritical, to demonise just policy for asylum seekers at the same time as hounding politicians to shape policy that will displace millions in the next few decades. Their campaigns, however, are much more myopic than even those contradictions suggest. Teachers learnt with glaring clarity over the worst of the pandemic so far that their allocated role in society, stripped of romantic imaginings, was childminding. Teachers are intended to keep youth off the street until they grow too, until they too grow old enough to join their parents in wave slavery and debt peonage. And yet the IPA, shorn of actual research, has filched from American playbooks the savaging of teachers and schools as a culture war that will keep it relevant and bring its chaotic political arm back to power. Teachers battle a grinding job that makes holidays a necessity to avoid harming hyperactive masses of children and recalcitrant teens. Constant pressure of arbitrary benchmarks and counterproductive testing makes teaching too often a matter of training children to surmount pointless hurdles rather than to relish all that is around us to be learned. Battalions of demanding parents treat teachers as servants or miscreants while administrative demands bow shoulders under an unbearable load. At night, while friends gather to socialise, teachers contemplate the preparation and marking that must be done. Metrics, data entry and reporting are constant nagging requirements. Most young people would rather be playing or socialising as any parent who tries to marshal unwilling offspring will tell you. Trying to galvanise the PlayStation, TikTok and Netflix generation to engage with lessons they resent is a constant demand on energy that leaves the teacher exhausted at the end of the day. The computer in the classroom, laptop, iPad or phone will offer instant excitement to, compared to mastering the use of apostrophes. Too many teachers are older and could not have safely taught in the classroom during the pre-vaccine pandemic with threats to their own health or those in their care at home. Nonetheless, the distance education option of the lockdown era was extraordinarily difficult and has brought back a generation of children of vastly different accomplishment. Some cannot sit still for a class's duration, while others were nurtured and extended by parents who had the time and capacity to do so. Looking out for the mental well-being of students while trying to meet impossible standards is a constant struggle. There are so many conflicting roles demanded of a teacher that day to day they are worn away to bare bones. There are few experiences as exhilarating as igniting the magic of excitement in young people about a new idea or a challenge mastered. But buried in the erosive rest, it is not enough to keep many teachers in the profession. We are facing a teacher shortage at the moment as a result of all these drains, with many deciding that there are much easier ways to pay the bills that don't leave one a sickened wreck at the beginning of every holiday before re-engaging with the preparation for the following term. So for the IPA to choose this moment to declare war on teachers is to shoot itself in the face. Who is going to provide childcare so that all the wage slaves can keep churning out the profits for, it was, for its residual funders? Bella de Vera is the voice of the IPA's campaign on schools, class action, named in a threateningly legalistic fashion. In July, the IPA promoted an advertisement for the campaign on Facebook aiming to arouse average Aussies' parents to work to control what is taught to their children. The linked video is labelled with a warning with an accompanying warning logo followed by insane racial ideology at Australian schools. The post claims that critical race theory 
CRT is being taught at Australian schools. This is arrant nonsense. CRT is a university-level course in some American law schools that aims to see where old racism is encoded in long-standing systems. This fabricated culture war battles over schooling was invented by Republican activist Christopher Rufo, who believed it offered a frightening-sounding name that would galvanise ignorant red state parents. The label is applied to any attempt to convey history in any but the most bowdlerized fashion to suit white bigots who will not hear any of the pain of the settler colonial experience. In Britain, the label is used to criticize any but the most celebratory account of the British Empire. It is not about teaching guilt, as the IPA and radical right activists chant, but about teaching a more balanced view of history than most adults are aware existed. Our historical understanding is so partial because the history taught has been so sanitized. Dobera also harps on about the identity politics taught in schools and apparently fostered in universities, omitting the fact that there is only one, there is one and only one identity they do want taught. Any allowance for diversity in schools is made the subject of hysterical scandal. As Noel Turnbull pointed out, schools are exciting and busy places because of the hard work of teachers with no sign of the perversion and shame that the IPA's American gambit would have us believe. Back to you, Jean. Well, many thanks, uh, Oliver and Kim. That, well, I thought, was a very interesting uh, take on what is happening. Uh, the teachers are just getting on with teaching our children. Very interesting things indeed, as you can see from the children themselves and the way they're behaving and the interesting things they're doing. But um, for some reason, uh, these uh, think tank people and uh, uh, right-wing extremists, they want us to be fearful about what is going on in our public schools. Sensible parents know exactly what is going on in our public schools and what good teachers we have, but they are underpaid and overworked and a lot of them are giving up and leaving the system and leaving teaching. So the sooner we actually coddle our teachers a little bit better and pay them what they should be paid, then uh, the sooner we'll be better off in this country. We can certainly do without uh, this harassing and bashing of the teaching force of the country. But uh, that's enough for now. We'll have a bit of a break and come back. We've got some more interesting material uh, about uh, the Labor Party. Uh, the dogs uh, don't really take sides and coalition of the Labor Party with their lib labs. Uh, particularly on the state aid issue. And uh, the private school cash flash, for some people, is just a Morrison throwback. They haven't really come to the party in the way the public school supporters hoped they would. So have a bit of a break and Dale will come back with Labor's private school cash flash, a Morrison throwback. It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason to be screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to, to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not, you know, we're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice. Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 
I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Well, you're still listening to the Dogs Program. Well, we hope you are. And uh, Dale has got a very interesting article for you, uh, which I believe uh, comes from one of the Green candidates in the next state election. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got a press release here from the Greens website, Labor's private school cash splash, a Morrison throwback. Labor's budget has failed the public schools test, committing even more to private schools than the Morrison government pledged in its March budget, Greens, the Greens say. The Albanese government has promised private schools $70.2 billion over the forward estimates, uh, $1.7 more than Scott Morrison guaranteed in his pre-election budget. The private school sector will now receive an even greater share of Commonwealth funding under Labor than it would have under the Coalition. Green spokesperson on schools, Queen's, Queensland Senator Penny Orman, Penny Orman Payne, uh, will move to move a disallowance motion to block an increase in the size of the capital grants program, a Commonwealth Capital Works Fund exclusively available to private schools. Quotes attributable to Green's spokesperson on schools, Senator Penny Orman-Payne, are, this is a schools budget the Liberal Party would have been proud of. As a proportion of total funding, private school funding is actually growing, moving public schools even further away from re reaching 100% of the minimum SRS, the school resource standing standard. Uh, this budget indicates that the Albanese government is either ignorant of the growing school inequality or it just doesn't care. A stronger commitment to public school funding would have helped Labor tackle the cost of living crisis, teacher shortages and declining student performance. While elite schools are building extra boat sheds and plunge pools for their headmasters, Public schools in my own region of central Queensland and across the country are struggling to attract, attract and retain teachers and meet the needs of their students, said uh, Penny Orman-Payne. Labor had an opportunity to undo a decade of conservative damage to the education system by winding back government support for the private sector and investing in the public in the public system. Instead, we got the kind of budget you'd expect from Scott Morrison. With negotiations on the next National Schools Reform Agreement beginning and beginning soon, the Greens will be pushing to ensure that all public schools receive at least 100% of the SRS by the end of the agreement and will continue to fight for public money for public schools. Makes sense to me. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, the... Um the Labor Party budget, as far as private schools are concerned, are uh, really something that Morrison himself would have been proud of. So um, there's a question as to whether or not the Labor Party is really a decent alternative uh, for public school supporters. But um, there are other candidates, fortunately. There are the Reason Party and there's the Greens who are standing in the state election. 
So uh, we'll have a bit of a break now. Panoply, panorama, panpipe, pansy, aha, pansexual, knowing no boundaries of sex or gender. Sound interesting? Then join Sally on Sundays at noon for Out of the Pan. All those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855 AM digital and 3cr.org.au. Join me, Aya Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. Well, you're still listening to the, to the Dogs program. And we've still got a lot of interesting material for you uh, on the theme of this week, which is what actually goes on inside our classrooms and how the coalition and the conservative right-wing parties are trying to make it into an issue. But um, we've got Sol, who's going to read the crisis that NAPLAN is writing into our classrooms. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So we do have an article here about the crisis that NAPLAN is writing into our classrooms written by um, Shelley Davidow and Michael Carey. And they write, in troubled education, sorry, in a troubled education era when consideration has been given to letting machines mark school students' creative and narrative writing pieces, it is a small wonder that we now have newspaper headlines screaming that school writing standards are in crisis. NAPLAN plays a central role in this. Teachers, whether they agree or not, find themselves teaching to the test. The writing section in particular stifles creativity and forces teachers to deliver lessons that are geared to a focus on a narrow band of criteria unrelated to the craft of creative writing and do not necessarily lead to transferable writing skills. Some of the world's finest writers, including Ernest Hemingway, Raymond Carver and Cormac McCarthy, might even fail NAPLAN writing tests because these examinations do not prioritise writing as an art, as an art and a craft. Where the measure of control is important, Grammar rules can be broken for effect. Cormac McCarthy writes entire paragraphs made up of sentence fragments that lack subjects or verbs. Raymond Carver uses simple one-word syllable words, sorry, uses simple one-syllable words. Dialogue lacks punctuation. These are marks of brilliance, 
not failure, in terms of literary merit. Young writers should learn the rules of grammar and equally how to break them to move, inspire, convince, or transport a reader. NAPLAN's writing assessment criteria are flawed and limited. A student doesn't have to be a good writer to score high marks. Conversely, a creative and innovative student could score poorly if marked by the current criteria. As the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age reported this week, a review of 10 million NAPLAN year three to nine writing results and more than 350 persuasive writing samples by the government-funded Australian Education Research Organisation found students' writing declined significantly in every skill area but spelling over the seven years 2018. And yet the Australian Centre for Educational Research and other education authorities may have lost the point of why we teach kids to write. Young people should learn to express themselves in a myriad of ways and across many platforms so they can clearly articulate their thoughts, their words, and develop their own voice. Once they master the mechanics, they can innovate for effect. They develop control. A study by senior academics at the University of the Sunshine Coast, sponsored by Steiner Education Australia and published in the Australian Journal of Language and Literacy, showed that a uniquely designed creative writing rubric was a fit-for-purpose tool for assessing creative writing in the classroom and a more suitable guide to creative writing than NAPLAN. It also investigated how NAPLAN has directed and therefore restricted the way writing has been taught in schools since it was introduced in 2008. The study concludes that not only does NAPLAN penalise creativity, it is not a fit-for-purpose narrative writing assessment instrument. In our study, 54 Year 9 Steiner students were given progressive craft-based exercises that culminated in a narrative piece. They practiced and then performed the skills they had learned. Of course, understanding grammar is a prerequisite for being able to do this, so we taught grammar, but always with the end goal in mind. In their final stories, they showed improvement according to our creative writing rubric across a range of criteria, including in the structural elements, spelling, grammar, punctuation, and the measure of control of these. When the same piece was marked using a NAPLAN rater and criteria, there was almost no improvement. It is evident that the NAPLAN rubric does not assess the skills and capacities needed to be a good creative writer. If we want students to feel invested in their writing, they should learn how to sculpt sentences or fragments or entire pieces for a particular effect. They should know how to use words to persuade, inspire, to make people think, laugh, cry. Thankfully for now, the proposal to use machines to mark students' creative and narrative writing exams has failed to launch. Let's hope that remains the case because a machine cannot possibly mark a creative writing sample without reducing its value to correct sentences and multi-syllabic words. A machine cannot be moved or inspired or persuaded. This article, as I mentioned, was by Dr. She Shelley Davidow, 
who is an author and senior lecturer in education at the University of the Sunshine Coast, um, where Dr. Michael Carey, who's also referenced, is an education researcher and senior lecturer in education. Um, they co-wrote the article. Back over to you, Jean. Well, I thought that was very interesting too. Um, here they're making a big deal about NAPLAN in Australia, the way they do about other testing procedures in the United States and in England, but NAPLAN isn't fit for purpose. Um, somehow they think that robots should be teaching our children machines or assessing them. Um, and, and I find this very interesting because back in the 60s, uh, back in um, the University of Queensland, there was a very interesting group of educational psychologists who believed that human beings could be reduced to mathematical symbols in the same way as Bertrand Russell thought that uh, language could also be um, uh, uh, reduced to mathematical symbols. I'm sorry, these psychologists thought that um, everything about human beings could be quantified. <laughs> but I actually, uh, I think that most teachers know instinctively, we all know instinctively that human beings are a bit more complicated than just being added up. Mm. There's, it's, there's so much nuance to what is known as the humanities, the, the arts, you know, they're humanities for a reason. Um, and I remember, you know, one of the main, uh, I guess, uh, marking tools was not just whether you could do it, but also comprehension and how a, a student is comprehending the material uh, is something that is so nuanced as to be virtually impossible to quantify mechanically. Uh, and when you think about what they're talking about, uh, the, some of the greatest writers that have won uh, Nobel Prizes for literature, like James Joyce, you know, uh, they would be marked down and out. They would fail, you know. And, you know, you think of Joyce's stream of consciousness uh, uh, narrative style. You think of... Um, you know, E.E. E. Cummings' lack of uh, capitals and punctuation in poetry. You know, all of these th all of these writers would be uh, thrown in the bin uh, if right. if made to conform to this lack, this mechanic, mechanical way of uh, viewing the humanities. You know, it's it's a well, real even, shame. Even, even if you even if you follow it through. Uh, with parametric statistics and the way they try to control situations and quantify them, the variables are infinite. Um, you can't actually control situations in, 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 and actually quantify um, situations which are so complex when the variables cannot be controlled. But um, And that's just not human beings. That's the situation in which human beings find themselves. So um, very interesting, very interesting. But NAPLAN, the reason I wanted to tell that story is that there was a gentleman called Mr McGall who was the head of the OCR um, around about the turn of the century and he was brought back from the OECD where he had developed a whole lot of these kind of NAPLAN tests uh, to head ACARA for a while. So this... Um, this assumption, these assumptions from the University of Queensland where he started as a mathematics teacher 
but also as a, um, a lecturer, I think it was, or certainly a student, um, they have carried through and we're now dealing with NAPLAN. It's not only him, of course, it's many people who have this view. They, they just want to quantify everything. And human beings defy quantification. But we'll have a bit of a break there and we're coming back to talk about teacher shortages. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419 Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03 9419 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. CR Community Radio 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Well, you're listening still, I hope, to the Dogs Program. And uh, those of you who are in Victoria are uh, you don't hear too much from the teachers down here complaining of the teachers' union. But the teachers' union down here doesn't have to deal with um, Mr Perrottet and uh, they are, in any case, much more militant than Victorian lot and always have been. But uh, they are quite prepared to talk about teacher shortages uh, and quite prepared to take on the Labor Party uh, whereas here in Victoria, I suspect, uh, and more generally, uh, the teachers' unions are more favourable, certainly to the Labor Party than they are to the Liberal Party. But um, over to Dale, you've got something to tell us, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, this is a press release from the New South Wales Teachers Federation. Teacher shortage snag in federal budgets, TAFE offerings plan. The state government needs to fix the teacher shortage before TAFE New South Wales will be able to offer the additional fee-free courses funded in the federal budget, Federation Deputy Secretary Post Schools Phil Chadwick said. The extra TAFE places are designed to help address critical skills shortages in a range of industries. The Perifet government must shift to offering attractive salaries and working conditions in order to entice teachers to work in the TAFE system, Mr Chadwick said. TAFE New South Wales does not have the capacity in the teacher workforce at the moment. We had around 17,000 TAFE teachers in 2012 and now there's about 8,000, he said. If you think it's hard to get a plumber, try and get one to teach at TAFE if they have to take a pay cut or are only offered a casual position. Members in TAFE will be taking protected industrial action on Wednesday the 2nd of November as part of their campaign for a new enterprise agreement that addresses cost of living pressures, salary parity with school teachers and the trades and professions they teach, untenable workloads and job security. Lack of funds for capital improvements. 
The federal government will establish a $50 million TAFE technology fund to deliver IT infrastructure, modern workshops, laboratories and telehealth simulators nationally. But this will be inadequate for the capital improvements needed to cater for the, the additional students. Ten years of cuts and neglect in TAFE have had their toll, Mr Chadwick said. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, uh, we've got something else from the New South Wales Teachers Federation too. Um, there was a World Teachers Day, but uh, the Teachers Federation had something to say about that. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So it is bad news for the teaching profession on World Teachers Day. The Peritet government has been caught out undermining its own entry standard to the teaching profession as part of its failing approach to tackle growing teacher shortages. Former Premier Gladys Berejiklian announced in 2018 that only graduates who achieve a minimum credit grade point average in their teaching degree would be employed in New South Wales public schools. Those completing their degrees this year are the first the standard applies to. But in response to a question on notice, the Education Minister now says the standard will only apply to those employed as permanent teachers. The government's own research shows that only 22% of new teachers are given permanent jobs, with the rest employed in insecure, temporary or casual positions. New South Wales Teachers Federation President Angelo Gabrielatos said the move came weeks after Premier Dominic Perrottet announced unqualified teachers would be employed in public schools from 2024. While we are celebrating the extraordinary work teachers do today on World Teachers Day, sadly, we have a government determined to undermine and remove entry standards for the profession, Mr. Gabrielatos said. If this is not stopped, we will have the untenable situation where only a minority of new teachers are required to meet the government's entry standard, and there will be no standard for participants in the Teach for Australia scheme who won't need a teaching qualification before they start teaching. Teaching is harder than ever, but Mr. Peritet, sorry, Mr. Peritet wants to make it easier than ever to join the profession. That is the wrong approach to tackling growing shortages, which are caused by unsustainable workloads and uncompetitive salaries. Parliamentary research shows an extraordinary 60% of teachers are planning to leave in the next five years because of their workload. That is a lot. Monash University research shows fewer than one in 10 New South Wales teachers find their workload manageable. The number of permanent teachers leaving in the first five years of their career is at a 13-year high. Every year, workloads have risen and every year, teachers' salaries have fallen compared to other professions. Mr. Peritet wants to make the salaries of teachers even less competitive by paying them a 2.53% increase a year at a time when the cost of living is rising by 7.3% a year. The Department of Education repeatedly warned the government about using the Teach for Australia program to bring in unqualified teachers, saying it undermined the teaching profession, was expensive, unworkable, 
and the retention rates were poor. But this is another captain's pick from a premier who is failing teachers and failing students. The whole approach of this government to the teacher shortages is failing. The number of vacant permanent positions has more than doubled in a year and almost two thirds of schools have an unfilled position. Only two teachers have been recruited in a year under the signature initiative of the $125 million teacher supply strategy. Sounds like a failure to me. Uh, back over to you, Jean. Yes, doesn't it? I think they have these bright ideas that they get from, uh, from over in America and they fail before they even start. Very sad indeed. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and then we will go to America and uh, come back to Australia too, the comparison with Jeff. Published or Not has been around for years, but now Jan Goldsmith is joined by David McLean. We will chat about words and writing, authors and audiences, publishers and printing, a voice for them all on 3CR. Published or Not, every Thursday, 11.30 till noon. When you get home, baby, write me a few of your lines. Teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world, and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, you're still listening to 3CR and uh, we've got Jeff here. Aren't we lucky to have all these very knowledgeable and good people for our dogs program? But uh, Jeff, but like all the others, we're all regulars. Uh, Jeff is going to do a bit of a comparison between what's going on in America with their testing schedules and uh, what's going on here in Australia. Over to you, Jeff. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, look, this is from a wonderful blog from Diana Ravitch in America again. And it seems they've got similar problems to the ones we have with NAPLAN in that um, they're expecting children to fit, you know, into formulas that are on a, on a trajectory and, and things like that. And they're trying to make the world fit their statistical assessments. Their version over in America is called the NAEP, which stands for the National Assessment of Education Progress. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit of, about that. Um, this is from Diana Ravage's blogs, blog. She says, since the two sets of NAEP scores were released recently, commentators have gone into a panic about learning loss and used the declines to promote their favourite reform. More of this, less of that. DeSantis, who's the Republican governor in Florida, DeSantis even released a press release claiming falsely that Florida's formula of ignoring the pandemic was just right. California, incident, interestingly, stuck with the CDC guidelines and did at least as well, maybe better than Florida, but Gavin Newsom did not issue a press, press release. Um, so, 
So Florida is claiming that they're, uh, because they didn't follow the national protocols on the pandemic, that their NAPLAN scores equivalent, their NAEP, is, um, is, you know, proves that they would do the right thing, uh, even though other places did better. Um, so th they are having a lot of trouble with that. Um, and there's an interesting little point here um, from a, a woman called Jan Ressinger, who's reported in Jan Ravitch's uh, blog. She says, are the new National Assessment of Education Progress scores a catastrophic indication that US public schools have fallen into decline? I don't think so. Early this week, the National Centre for Education Statistics released a large data set from the National Assessment of Education Progress exams administered last spring from the fourth to eighth grade students in US public schools. Last month, the NCES released scores from tests administered to a smaller group of fourth graders. Both sets of scores show that COVID pandemic uh, times seriously disrupted schooling for the nation's children and adolescents. And she goes on, there's quite a lot of detail here. Um, some people assume that the year's drop in NAEP scores signals a reversal of progress, the beginning of a downward spiral. Others are using the scores as evidence for their particular reform or as evidence that their state had a better policy on school closures than other states. Meckler writes, partisans on all sides of the education debate seized on the results to advance competing ideas about the way ahead. The test results also offered fodder for those who argue bringing students back to campuses quickly was the right move. We kept schools open in 2020, and today's NAEP results once again prove we made the right decision, said DeSantis on Twitter. But the data did not establish a connection between back-to-school policies and academic performance. In California, for instance, many public schools were closed well into the 2021 year school year, and some students never saw a classroom that year. But the declines were similar to those in Texas and Florida, where schools were ordered to open much sooner. Uh, so it just shows that People can grab these statistics and, and use them. This is me now, not this, uh, to uh, promote their own um, agenda, no matter what the results. They seem to be cherry picking from any kind of uh, trend and using it to prop up their agenda. The ABC report on the 31st of the 10th, I won't go through the whole thing, but NAPLAN results show no overall decline in learning, but 2% drop in participation levels are an issue of concern. So this is by uh, National Education and Parenting reporter Gabrielle Marchant. This is on the NAPLAN results now. NAPLAN showed concerns around Year 9 boys' reading ability. Almost 15% of Australian Year 9 boys don't meet the national minimum achievement standard for reading, the highest proportion ever according to the national NAPLAN test results. Experts describe the latest NAPLAN tests as a mixed bag Results show no overall decline in learning despite dips in spelling and reading in year nine boys. The 2022 test results records the fewest participants since testing began with a steep drop off compared to last year. Experts have described the latest data breaking down the COVID cohorts performance this year, standardized literacy and numeracy assessments as a mixed bag showing no overall decline in learning. The Curriculum Authority, ACARA, said despite a dip in Year 9 spelling results and concerns around Year 9 boys' reading ability, long-term trends over the past 15 years showed students' results had broadly stayed the same or improved. However, however the Grattan Institute Education Program Director, Jordana Hunter, said while the results showed COVID disruptions have not had the dire academic impact many feared, she worried about an overall dip in maths results since before the pandemic. 
right across the board in all different states and territories across the different year levels, those numeracy results are quite a bit down on where they were in those pre-pandemic years, Dr Hunter said. She said, though COVID disruptions may have contributed, it was hard to tell for sure. The shortages of maths teachers nationally could also have had an impact, she said. Dr Hunter said the decline in year nine reading, particularly amongst boys, also demanded policymakers' attention. Just 86.5% of year nine boys met the national minimum standard for reading, down 5% from 2008. The year nine boys look like they're around a year's worth of learning behind the girls, Dr Hunter said. Traditionally, boys haven't performed as well as girls, but that trend seems to be becoming more pronounced, she said. The COVID impact is hard to determine. Dr Hunter said results from Victoria, which endured close to a full school year of home learning during COVID, did not conclusively show lockdowns impact one way or the other. For example, she said literacy had broadly improved across Australia, including in Victoria, and particularly among primary students. Reading has been trending up for a while now in those primarily primary school years, and it looked like that trend has held up fairly well during the pandemic. She also said that a countrywide decline in writing over the decade to 2018 also appeared to have been reversed. In fact, Victoria saw significant improvement in year seven and year nine students' writing results. However, Dr. Hunter said a decline in year five grammar results in Victoria could show learning from home in early primary impacted learning more than in upper primary students. She said Victoria's results might also show the value of small group tutoring. Victoria invested heavily in catch-up tutoring for students, and that hopefully has played a really positive role in helping students make up for lost learning during those remote schooling periods. Participation levels drop. The 2022 test had the fewest participants since NAPLAN began, with a steep drop-off from the previous year. ACARA Chief Executive Dave DiCarvalo said the 2% dip in participation across the board was an issue of concern. Low participation rates can impact results analysis and the ability to get a clear picture of literacy and numeracy achievement at the national level, he said. Dr Hunter said COVID and natural disasters, like the flooding emergency in New South Wales, likely contributed to the drop-off. But the trend down has been something that's been well documented since before the pandemic. She said that could be due to the views in some part of the community, community that NAPLAN was not important. Improvements seen, but the gap is winding, is the headline. This year's NAPLAN results show results among Indigenous students are broadly improving. However, remote and Indigenous students saw some of the lowest participation rates, with just 67.8% of Year 9 students in the Northern Territory sitting in the numeracy test. Dr Hunter said while the news was generally positive, more interrogation of the data was needed. We need to make sure that we're still really focusing heavily on supporting Indigenous students to achieve great literacy and numeracy results in schools, she said. Dr Hunter said the 2022 data showed the disparity between students with highly educated parents and those with less education had not improved. She said the gap continued to widen between the first NAPLAN test in year three and the final test in year nine. Uh, Education Minister Jason Clare said he was concerned about the gap. I don't want us to be a country where your chances in life depend on who your parents are, where you live or the colour of your skin, he said. That's why I've said I want us to focus on this as a part of the next national school reform agreement. The agreement dictates school funding and priorities for the next five years. Federal and state territory governments will begin negotiations by the end of 2021. Um, and so these, this is uh, just a general indication that, that um, these kind of um, broad 
based statistical gatherings can be tricky. They can certainly uh, show people what they want to see. Uh, in America, they, they, they're saying, look, of course, uh, there's, there's changes in the scores, but broadly speaking, they haven't changed much. And there shouldn't be a general trend seen in, in things uh, that shouldn't be expected to go up every year because a, a, a ninth grader from 10 years ago and a ninth grader by now, we should from now, should have similar results. You shouldn't be always seeking to be promotion, uh, an increase in, in ability all the time. Of course, they're going to be the same uh, because the children are still year nine students. They should be re relatively flat if things are going fairly well. Um, and so these, these statistics, they're a trap. Um, they're, they're a trap and a lot, of, a lot of schools target them and spend a lot of time trying to get good scores on NAPLAN without actually just Letting, letting the teachers be teachers and, and targeting children for their according to their needs. Anyway, such are the controversies of today. I pass it back to Eugene. Well, that's all very interesting. I wonder just how reliable and how valid, just to use those educational psychology terms, how reliable and how valid all of this NAPLAN testing really is. But uh, we'll have just a short break. And we'll come back for our good news story. And that, of course, is our great state school. And I think you'll enjoy our great state school of the week here. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card. And once a year, your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our Great State School of the Week this week is Bright Peter 12 College. Bright Peter 12 College is a public school situated in Bright, Victoria, Australia and has approximately 595 students and 60 staff. The principal is Jean Ollie and the college council president is Peter Mack. The original school building, which is still in use, was constructed in 1876. A little from its website, academic Enrichment. Bright Peter 12 College has a culture in which learning is valued as a lifelong process and where excellence is promoted in academic, creative, social, citizenship and sporting programs. The college offers a wide range of academic subjects, language immersion programs, cultural experiences, camps and excursions, music and art, outdoor education, sport and leadership opportunities. Small class sizes have allowed 
teachers to enhance positive relationships with students that focus on the individual learner through differentiated learning and comprehensive assessment and feedback. Bright P-12 College is dedicated to providing a high quality education for all students. The college promotes a calm learning environment where all students are respected and encouraged to progress to the next level through sustained effort. The achievements of students, staff and others in the school community are valued, acknowledged, celebrated and publicised regularly through Peter 12 Celebration of Success Assemblies and the newsletter. At every year level, the curriculum is structured to provide enrichment and extension opportunities. Moreover, Bright Peter 12 College recognises the importance of the parents in the learning partnership and encourages communication with teachers through many mediums. In 2015, they launched the Learning Management System, COMPASS, a comprehensive program that allows parents to follow their child's progress through access to reports, class schedules, learning tasks, assessments and a news feed. In addition to this, they offer the app school bag for alerts and calendars of events. Every step of the way, they're committed to educating and nurturing the whole child in partnership with the student, parents and wider community. And now a little from the Akara My School website. The school is a strong community-based one with resulting extremely good academic results. There are at the moment 383. 583 pupils. Its ICSIA value is 1,049, which is well above the average of 1,000. 25% of families have an income in the highest income quartile. Uh, 29 are from the second income quartile, 30% from the third, and 16% are from disadvantaged families. There are 7% from non-English background, English-speaking backgrounds attending the school and 2% are Indigenous students. The Australian government provides only 1.6 million and the state government 6.3 million. The parents paid $100,692 in fees and raised $257,800 in 2020. All in all, it costs taxpayers $14,895 to educate a child at this country school, which is quite a bargain and below uh, the SRS. Uh, the NAPLAN results are extraordinary, although the reading, grammar and numeracy results are well above average. 50% of the final year students went on to university and 34% went on to TAFE. So congratulations, Bright Peter 12 College. You are this week's Great State School of the Week. Well, wasn't that a lovely Great State School up there in Bright, up in what's flooding country at the moment, of course. So we wish all our people up in the north of Victoria well, those that have been um, living in places on floodplains. But uh, it's a very sad situation indeed. But uh, the schools are still there. They're being used very often now as places of, of refuge for our uh, people in trouble, as they should be. They are public schools. But uh, you've been listening to the dogs, and if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info. 
we hope you've enjoyed our program today and it's left for me to say thank you many, many thanks to Dale, our producer, and to Oliver and Kim and Sorrel uh, for their help and all the others who come in, like Jeff, who is our expert, of course. So from all of us this afternoon, it is bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.